Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. In today's episode, we follow Marcone and Ielioth as they make their way to the city of Trudid on a mission from the Druids of the Vagervale Wood. But before we dive in, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to those who have left a rating or review of the podcast. You taking the time to do so means so much to me. If your podcast app supports ratings and or reviews, please take a moment to share what you enjoy about the show. And if it doesn't, please do subscribe and share the episode with a friend who enjoys epic fantasy. I hope you enjoyed last week's bonus episode on how Buried Heroes started as a one-on-one D&D campaign and turned into an epic fantasy series. We'll have another bonus episode on Friday on the upcoming serial story, The Tree of Silver. Finally, to discover what happens next before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure. The road gently sloped downhill, and as the sun crested, the first farms that made up Trudit's outskirts appeared behind cleared lanes where the forest had been carved away. Some peeked through the trees like shy woodland creatures, rabbits caught in a dew-covered hedge. Others were bold, leaping out from the landscape like entitled castle squirrels darting across the arboretum. The paths to the homesteads wove through the trees of the stormside forest and opened onto plowed fields and orchards. At a bend in the road, they encountered a farmer returning from town, walking beside her donkey with an empty cart trailing behind. The middle-aged woman avoided eye contact with them, leaning down to pat the donkey instead. "'I hate to trouble you,' Aelia said when they neared her. "'But could you please help us? Have you an idea of where the loggers are located? Or how near we are to Trudid?' The farmer's eyes darted between her and Marcone and widened in alarm when she saw his longsword. We don't mean anyone any harm, Eliath raised her palms reassuringly. You're nearer the camp, though it's still a ways off. She slung her thumb further down the road behind her. You'll make it by dusk, I'd say, and they can send you on to Trudid from there. Thank you, ma'am, Eliath said. We're much obliged. The woman frowned, like the donkey had suddenly emitted a foul odor. They waited for her to move first and then passed her, neither party looking at the other. "'Dusk isn't too bad, is it?' she asked Marcone after the woman had faded into the woods behind them. "'I had hoped we might be closer than that, but so long as you're not in a rush, neither am I.' He began to say something else, but stopped himself with a quick sideways glance at her. He spoke again after a few moments had passed. "'I have been thinking during our travels today about what lies before us, and with those questions I reflected on what has been left behind.' Eliath drew her eyebrows together, unsure of what he meant. Marcone sighed. You see, lady, I had an ally, Quindithius. He would know the next steps for us to take in this new time. From what Mara said, I believe he may have suffered a fate identical to mine. Quindithius had his quirks. Marcone grinned and shook his head. But he was as loyal a friend as any could ask for. 
He would search for me the moment he discovered I was in danger, and I must do the same for him. Do you know where he might be? In the mountains? I think it unlikely they would have buried him there unless they'd had no other choice. In the past, I would have asked for Ignis to guide me, but such is the nature of fire. What do you mean? The intensity of the flame is what drew me to Ignis when I swore vengeance before. Fire consumes. Its work is swift. It does not wait or rest. Through a failure on my part, I resisted those qualities. As a result, those I cared for, whom I had sworn to protect, perished. I don't think it's fair for you to lay that blame entirely on your own shoulders. Surely there were other factors at play, in a powerful enemy subtle enough to rout your forces. You think there's nothing we could have done? An edge crept into Marcone's voice. Elioth shook her head. No, that's not what I meant. How could she explain without him feeling personally attacked? She only wanted to help. Regardless of the placement of yourself in your regiment, others must have been out of place as well for the attack to happen. Marcone's jaw tightened and he twitched his head to the side. It was a difficult time. I thought I had done more to let it go. I am sorry. He still looked upset, his brow furrowed, but he was trying to make amends. I wanted to clarify my concern about remaining close by, Marcone began. I fear attracting dangerous enemies to you. But there's something else, something about you that you cannot yet see. It drew Persephone to you, and I suspect Yvain as well. At first, I believed misguidedly that it was because you had awakened me that you'd made a powerful enemy. But I would not be quick to dismiss your place in the wider scale of things. He paused on the path and regarded her. Quintetheus was always more skilled than I at putting together disparate pieces. In addition to helping me uncover Alessandra and her servants, I hope, if it is possible to find him or whatever happened to him, that he might be able to help you too. It took the rest of the afternoon and the early evening to arrive at the logging camp. The dirt path that sliced through the wood was well-worn from the workers' trips from the road. A stump-lined walk that carved deeper into the ancient roots of the Stormside Forest marked both sides of their trail. The white and tan pattern of tents appeared through the thinned forest just before dusk. They were spread across a cleared field marred by the skeletal remains of root structures and undergrowth. It resembles a soldier's camp, Marcon observed. In the eastern section, one tent stood taller and larger than the rest, placed behind a gathering area with long tables and benches. As they passed through the camp, the chatter among the loggers paused while they stared after her and Marcone. When the nobles left the castle to go into the city of Lenelin, outside of the air ward in particular, they were met with fanfare if it was an organized celebration or something akin to this if it was not. The duke called it a mix of scorn and awe. It looked more like confusion, watching someone who was out of place. A few of the men and women squinted at her clothes, and others whispered about Marcone's tattoos. She prevented herself from turning to see what he thought of the camp. Best to seem at ease. Yeliath stepped into the empty area between the tables and the large tent. Only a few people gathered in the common space, and their conversations halted at her approach. She continued past them and approached the two loggers stationed at the tent's entrance. They weren't armed as guards, but their erect posture suggested they provided additional security. The man on the left glanced at her nervously and lowered his gaze, but his partner crossed his arms and stepped forward. She hadn't seen someone of orcish descent since the winter festival at the end of the previous year. 
Though some half-orcs were part of Linolan's navy, and others sailed in and out of the city on merchant vessels, their population remained low, similar to half-elves or any other of non-human bloodlines. The man had a protruding lower jaw and burly forearms. He glanced at her but saved his glare for sizing up Marcone. They stared at one another, and the second stretched on. Was she supposed to state their purpose? The guard waited for her to open her mouth and begin to speak before he interrupted. "'What is it you want?' he growled. "'We would like to request a meeting with Turdock, please,' Eliath said. She needed to avoid that quaver in her voice in future interactions. She wasn't frightened, only uncomfortable. "'He's busy.' His voice was gruff, bordering on rude. Marcone stiffened beside her, a warning. "'We'd like to make an appointment, then, when he's next available. When might that be?' Marcone feigned brushing his cloak to the side, and his fingertips rested on the hilt of his sword. The guard ground his teeth, furious at the threat. He exhaled in frustration and took a menacing step toward Marcone. In a flash, Marcone pulled her behind him and assumed a ready stance. "'Send them in,' a voice called from the tent. Elias smiled kindly at the nervous guard and avoided looking at the aggressive one. She laid a hand on Marcone's shoulder. It was far from an ideal start— but the man had invited them in. The half-orcish guard's angry glare burned at the back of her neck as they stepped inside. A pale green half-orc sat behind a desk covered in maps and ledgers. He stood as they entered, palms resting flat on the edge of the desk. He was several inches taller than Marcone, nearly seven feet, and broad-chested. He wore a white linen shirt with the sleeves rolled up and an open leather vest. Let's have it, then. He gestured to the two wooden chairs in front of his desk and sat down. The man leaned back and observed them closely. Marcone held the back of Eliath's chair for her as she sat. The meeting had taken such a negative turn already. She'd need to be very persuasive to have a hope of convincing him to see their side. "'You are Master Turdock in charge of the Greenfell Logging Company?' Eliath asked. "'I am. And who might you be?' Eliath and Marcone. She gestured beside her to Marcone, who gave a slight nod. "'What is it you want, then, Eliath?' I have come to ask about the possible overextension of your logging company's reach into the forest. <laughs> have you now? And why might you be interested in that? I speak on behalf of some of the nearby residents. They are concerned about the forest being able to recover from such extensive cutting. That seems mighty presumptuous of you. Which residents are we speaking of in particular? He raised an eyebrow. He already knew the answer. On behalf of the druids... I figured that. You're the third they've sent to interrupt me and my work, he glared at her. I'll say the same as I've said before. We haven't touched their part of the forest and don't intend to. It's long past the time when it was their business to instruct others on how best to tend their lands. This forest doesn't belong solely to them. How could she make him see that the druids were trying to preserve the good of everyone in the surrounding area? She needed a different angle. They were hoping you had changed your mind out of care and consideration for those working for you. Turdock's expression darkened. She'd hit upon a nerve. The men and women under your employ depend on you for their livelihoods. If you continue felling the forest at this rate, it will be destroyed to the detriment of future generations. Your people will be put out of work. The half-orc scowled at her. I know my responsibilities very well. Then why are you disregarding the greater good for profit? Turdock stood up slowly and leaned over his desk toward her. 
My job is to make sure those that work for me can feed their families. We travel and are far from home, and they may be the only one making money in their household. I explained to the mayor that this rate of cutting the forest was too fast and would damage it, but he ordered that we press on anyway. I've had to expand my company to keep up with the demand coming from the King of Linolin himself, says it's an emergency. He crossed his arms over his chest and stood to his full height. Now I have a duty, and I suspect you do too, but I'll not stand for some stranger to come to my camp, insult me, and accuse me of not knowing or caring about what I'm doing or those I'm doing it for. I'll ask you to leave now, and I won't ask twice. Elioth, rooted to her seat, stared back at Turdok. This was a disaster. What could she say now? The half-orc raised his arm and pointed to the doorway. He shifted his gaze to glare at Marcone, sizing up a potential opponent. Marcone stared back, poised to step in front of her or seize his sword. They had to go. If it came to blows, he'd never hear them. She stood and walked to the tent entrance. Elioth turned back to Turdok. I'm very sorry for making assumptions about you and your motivations. That was wrong of me. Turdok's expression remained unchanged. She left the tent, Marcone behind her. The table on the opposite side of the gathering area was unoccupied. She sat lightly on its bench on the far side, ready to be told to move. Marcone, what do we do now? What was she going to tell Mara? If the head of the logging company wouldn't listen to her, why should she expect the mayor to be any different? Marcone squared his shoulders toward the tent. The nervous guard approached them. Excuse me, the man said, his voice soft and scratchy. I hope that you will pardon me, miss, and sir. I do apologize for interrupting, but, well, would you be in need of somewhere to stay tonight? She hadn't even thought of that. Yes, it appears that we might. Where would they keep visitors' quarters or paid rooms among the tents? Can't trust the forest in the dark. He shook his head, alarmed at the thought. We have a spare tent, recently vacant, if you'd like. It was my friend's. He's from Linolin, too. How did you know that I'm from Linolin? Your accent, miss. Smith spoke just like you, though perhaps not so posh. Elliot smiled at him. That's very generous of you. We would be extremely grateful. I am Elioth, and this is Marcone. The man nodded to them. My name is Flick. The tent is right over here, miss, if you'll follow me. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes and the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero's stories after the events of Advarian Heist, book two. Amber Queen was just recently released at the end of August, and I'm so excited for you to find out the next phase of our hero's journeys. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at BethBallAuthor or on Twitter at GroveGuardian, or you can email me, Beth at BethBallBooks.com. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash GroveGuardianPress. Look for the Fae and Damon tiers. 
In our next episode, Eliath makes a second attempt at persuading Turdock to aid her cause and learns some disturbing news coming out of Linolin. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.